first known rules of golf were drawn up in 1744 by the gentlemen golfers of Edinburgh in Leith, Scotland. Since then, the game has changed dramatically. Golf courses, equipment, and not least the rules. So where do I go when I want to learn about the rules of the game today? Well, I go to the Golf Rules Questions podcast with Blakey and Roscoe, of course. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Golf Rules Questions podcast. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Postmasters edition of the Golf Rules Questions podcast. What a week it was. What a winner it was for the country, the golfing, the great golfing nation of Japan with Hideki Matsuyama winning the Masters. And it threw up quite a few situations, scenarios, and imbroglios for uh, the young man who is the Golf Rules guru himself, Blakey, sitting virtually opposite me once again. Um, threw up a number of situations for you to... Uh, once again, further your YouTube nest. Uh, yeah, although the masters don't really like uh, us posting their videos, so it's actually been a little bit quiet on there. So Instagram has been uh, where I've posted most of my stuff this week, uh, especially, you know, something something as simple, and we'll get into it, uh, Hideki hitting one in the water on uh, 15, uh, and then Xander hitting it in the same penalty area on 16 and and how um both of those situations were treated uh so posted a fair bit of that stuff on instagram and facebook this week well i did mention uh whatever way you get your uh likes follows subscribes and shares blake it doesn't bother me uh you're, you're a phenomenon in whichever way you look at it uh, and that's a cue for everyone to go over to the youtube site check that out keeps growing thank you uh, go to the Instagram, as you just mentioned, go to the Facebook and, and sign up for the newsletter because that's where you get the show notes that uh, it puts a lot of effort into. But um, you did get a lot of traction out of one of your videos, I did notice, with um, young Will Zalatoris. Uh, I'm, yeah. call, I'm, call, I'm going with Zalatoris. I don't know why it sticks in my head, Zalatoris, but it's co- of course it's Zalatoris. But um, I reckon it's an overuse of, uh, what's what are they called, syllables? Zalatoris. So you can go with Zalatoris. Zalatoris. Uh, yeah, I would just stick with whatever. The, although we do know the commentators don't get it right that often. Uh, I like Will Zalatoris. I like Zalat- Zalatoris. Uh, quite interesting. Um, this was nothing to do with the Masters, except it was everything to do with Will and him being, you know, finishing sec solo second. And interestingly enough, with one of my playlists, the Happy Gilmore Rules of Golf playlist, which um, uh, shows about 40 breaches of the rules of golf uh, in that video, uh, which is really funny. I mean, it's always just a funny thing, and I just thought that I'd add the rules of golf situations to as many situations within the video uh, that I could find. And so funnily enough, people were searching for this, who is this Will Zalatoris or Zalatoris, Zalatoris, who is he? And so they'd they'd search on uh, YouTube. They've come across one of my videos, you know, the the one uh, where the caddy grabs the bag and says, um, Mr. Gilmore goes, where are you going with those clubs, punk? And uh, shoves them to the ground and, and Will sort of gets up or the, the bloke gets up and uh, and says, oh, I'm your caddy, Mr. Gilmore. Um, so everyone thinks that that guy looks like Will and I had lots of comments, lots of views of that video just from Will finishing or being up there in contention and finishing, finally finishing second at the Masters 2021. Well, it was no surprise to my good self and also the co-host of uh, the Roscoe and Rocket episodes of the My Love of Golf podcast. You can see that uh, if you are looking at the YouTube video, uh, I'm wearing the My Love of Golf podcast uh, team team footjoy shirt here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just, yeah. just realised I'm, I'm pointing to um, both parts of my chest. The, the logo is, of course, only on one part of my chest because I'm looking at myself in reverse. That's a bit weird. But um, my love of golf podcast listeners would know that Will Zalatoris has been on our radar for a long time. Uh, fine young golfer. Uh, slightly built young man, but 
wowee, does he hit it a long way. And uh, he will be on the lips of a lot of um, the golfing journalists and uh, you know the fans of the golf world for a long time to come because he is a sensational young golfer. And by all accounts, uh, from his uh, speaking and his presentation and everything, a fine young man. So congrats to him. But uh, Hideki Matsuyama, what did you think about Hideki's win? Oh, fantastic. You know, he really dominated uh, into that third round and was able to hold on and, and continue the win and, uh, you know, continue to hold the lead and, and win on Sunday. Uh, it was, you know, it was phenomenal and just something really good for Japan. You know, Adam Scott's win back in 2013 was something really good for Australia and Hideki Matsuyama's win uh, was fantastic for Japan and, and of course, for the rest of the world. And the young Japanese lady who won the ladies' uh, amateur event, which is conducted at uh, Augusta, she she won that as well. Did she, do you remember her name, Blakey? Sorry, my, my very bad mistake that I don't that I hadn't written it down. But uh, it was a great week for Japan and uh, Japan golf. Now talking about you know blowing up on YouTube and you know going viral is young uh, Shota-san, uh, his caddy and the and the head bow, um, you know acknowledging the the course. And yeah, you know, for me, uh, it didn't surprise me to see that. Uh, it was very nice to see that, but I've had a fair bit of experience and exposure into the world of Japanese culture and Japanese business, you know, being employed by two Japanese companies over my career. And my dad actually was the one that taught me a lot about uh, Japanese language and Japanese culture. He learned some Japanese language, he had some customers, so he taught me. And I went into this uh, business environment, which I knew that the bosses were going to be golfers, so I was always going to try and uh, get a get ahead. And I learned some Japanese and... Um, just when you get a little bit of exposure into their culture and the people that they are, you can see why that happened. You can see the respect. You can see the, uh, um, you know, just the way that they respect everything, that, each other and the way that they do. And it was a really nice to see it. But, uh, you know, that just embodies, you know, Japanese people from when I've been there and, and the people that I've worked with, just how they respect each other. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was great for Japanese golf anyway. That's my little piece on uh, Japan. It's a great place. I'd love to go back there. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Uh, 50,000 followers, uh, subscribers, Roscoe, and we'll get to Japan. 50,000 50, and Japan, Japan's an interesting destination for golf. Uh, we might have to talk to Paul Sheen and get a little bit more insight into it, but uh, it's quite an exclusive and uh, expensive sport up there. So, you know, it's very popular with the Australian uh, touring pros, yeah, Matt Griffin and uh, a couple of other um uh, Brendan Jones and so on and so forth have done really well out of the Japan Japanese tour. So, um, yeah, so I'd love to go up there. 50,000, we'll go to Japan, okay. But we're going to New Zealand and Tasmania. Tasmania might be King Island first, Blakey, because I've just been to Barnboogle, so maybe we'll go to King Island first. But New Zealand, um, I saw something with about New Zealand. We've got to get to New Zealand. So more YouTube subscribers, please. What's the, the benchmark for uh, New Zealand? Uh, 10,000. Okay, well, we're on our way. Now, Let's uh, go to last week's golf rules question of the week. It's a long one, and I'll read it pretty quickly. Uh, Fraze has Webbo caddying for him during the first round of the club championships. On the ninth tee after Fraze has teed off, Webbo runs off to talk to a man about a dog. Uh, Fraze doesn't want uh, to carry his heavy bag because he's got too many golf balls in there. So he gets Steve to carry his bag to where his ball's at rest. Steve tells Fraze the distance and that he should hit a seven iron with a wee bit of a draw. And uh, after that, Fraze hits his second shot. Webbo reappears and takes over his caddying duty. Steve continues to walk beside Fraze and Webbo and holds Fraze's jacket and umbrella for the rest of the round. Does Fraze incur any penalties? Uh, no, no penalties for Fraze. He only ever had one caddy at any one time. Uh, he did not change caddies for the sole purpose of gaining advice that the other caddy couldn't uh, provide. Uh, the new caddy was simply there to sub in for what the old caddy would have provided, i.e. carrying the bag and advising what club to use for a specific shot for a, a specific distance. And also carrying other equipment such as a jacket and umbrella is not considered to be a caddy unless named as one or also carrying, handling the player's clubs. So that's all under rule 10.3. No penalties phrase. So he couldn't even caddy, and just say he caddies for more than half a hole and it becomes two or three holes because he's off seeing a man about a dog for a bit longer. 
and then Frey starts to fudge a couple of chips or miss a putt or whatever it is, he, he can't give any sort of, hey, Frey, you know, like, let's just get this rhythm of your chipping action in, in check here. I've seen you do this better and just go back on that one-two motion or whatever he says. You can't even do that? Uh, yes, yes. It, it all really depends on the skills of the caddy. Uh, say if the caddy was just simply holding the bag, uh, wasn't uh, uh, providing any information, wasn't reading putts, wasn't doing anything like that. Uh, and then the player wanted some particular information that another person could provide. So he put told that caddy to step aside, got in this other caddy, maybe it's his coach, uh, and then that coach gave him, you know, a two-minute chat about some kind of strategic or technical type thing. Then he got the other caddy back in. That has been... So that sole change was for a specific piece of advice that the other caddy couldn't provide. Uh, so that would be where the penalty is. The one that you're talking about, you know, caddies normally are there to make sure the player's calm, you know, hey, just calm down, settle down. That's, that's nothing that, you know, any specific person could, uh, could give. It, it's a general advice you know, just smooth rhythm, all that kind of thing. That's, that's, uh, anyone could provide that information. Okay. Oh, well, that clears that up. Now, let's get back into the Masters and digest some of these situations. So, the first uh, episode that you had to uh, cover off was the uh, Matt Wolf DQ. That was, that was a big news break when it happened, but, uh, Silly. Yeah, I, I still haven't seen it, but uh, I, I, I think I saw something on Twitter. Uh, he tried to back, back hit, you know, hit something with the, hit a putt with the back of his putter, and, and I think he hit it in. Uh, but then he's that was for a triple when he's written down a five on that seventeenth hole. So he, you know. Uh, Sorry, that would have been a double. If it was a six, it was a double, and I think he wrote down a five, which is a bogey. Um, Or it could have been the 16th hole where he wrote down a five for a double instead of a six for a triple. If anyone wants to confirm that, go ahead. But basically, he's. it wasn't uh, for a penalty that he didn't know he had incurred. It was simply he made a stroke, didn't count it, I don't think he meant to cheat. He, you know, he was having a bad day. He was going to miss the cut anyway. But this way, he actually um, ended up having a uh, signing for a lower score than what he'd actually had, and so he was disqualified. So, what part did his marker play in all of this? You know, did did do they, do they, they, they? These guys don't walk off and go, "What'd you have, mate? Five? No, I had four. No, you had five. No, you had four. They don't walk up. They, they they don't ask each other their scores. They just write it down, don't they? Yeah, basically. Um, but sometimes, I mean, you know, we've we've sort of talked about this on the podcast before. I'm I'm the kind of person that like will know my score, and then I'll also probably know your score, and I'll probably know the scores of the other people in the in the group. I like to watch everything. I like to. Um, you know, keep an eye on. And I could probably go back after, if you're sitting in the bar afterwards and we're talking about what we did on each hole, I could probably say what you did on every hole, what I did on every hole, what someone else did on, on every hole. Uh, you know, some people are like that. Some people are not like that at all. And they probably wouldn't even know their own score uh, if, say, their caddy didn't help out. But they certainly wouldn't know uh, someone else in their group score. So, you know, it, it depends the marker um, might have sort of thought, oh, Matt Wolf's got a putt for bogey for a two a two foot putt for bogey or or two putt two foot putt for par. Misses it. Marker looks away because you know we all sort of go, oh, don't want to don't want to see that kind of stuff. Uh, and then Matt's missed it again and tapped in with the back of his putter, and so the, the marker might have gone, oh, what did you have there, mate? And he go and Matt goes five, and the guy goes, oh yeah, whatever. I didn't really see all your putts, so five it is. Then most of the time, I can't say what exactly happened in this case, but most of the time, 
the player will sign the scorecard, hand it in, and then they'll see the leaderboard and they'll look at their score and go, oh, no, I, I would have had eight over, not seven over. And most of the time, they'll go back in and talk to the committee and say, hey, I think I've... Uh, I think you've got my score wrong. Um, like seriously, most of the time it is uh, player own player or player owning up to what they actually had, not, uh, you know, which is different to what is on um, the, the leaderboard that they see. We all talk about how there's volunteers out there uh, who carry the, you know, carry a board and say, Oh, well, Matt had a drive there and he had a second shot. And he, then he put it in the bunker. He stayed in the bunker for two shots and he had three putt. Uh, that's seven. Okay. Those score sheets are more used for stats rather than anything else. Uh, I don't think they have that at the masters anyway, but those, those kind of sheets are more used for uh, stats. They're not really there to corroborate, um, corroborate or, or calibrate, um, what the player actually had, but aren't aren't they walking around looking? Doesn't he see the 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 scoreboard or something after that? Isn't it? There's not a walking. There's no walking scoreboards there in that tournament in Augusta. But that, they don't see it any anywhere else. And go, hey man, I'm I'm actually six over, not five over, or whatever it is. No, but it wouldn't have been like it wouldn't have been. Uh, you know, I mean, with two holes, maybe that would have happened if it was on the fourth hole. Mm. But with two holes to go or three holes to go. Uh, he, you know, probably didn't even see a leaderboard. Wasn't he? Was probably had his head down. Oh, I'm playing so crap. I'm at Augusta, playing so terrible. Signed his scorecard, handed in. Went and had some food. Looked up on the TV. Oh, I thought I had a, a, an eighty, not a seventy nine. Uh, I'm pretty sh- like eighty percent of the time that would be how it works. Yeah. Okay. Well, one thing's I'm pretty much guaranteed for sure. Uh, he probably won't do that again. You would hope not. It's a very silly and amateur hour mistake, but uh, he was not the first person. He might not be the last, but hopefully he does not do that again. Well, his wasn't the worst at the Masters. Um, you, I can't remember if, no, you might, no, you wouldn't have been uh, alive at this time. 1960. <laughs> I'm pretty old. Thanks for thanks for uh, eking that out. Yeah, I'm pretty old, but no, you wouldn't be. Yeah, you 1842. Would, you wouldn't be alive, you old, old dodger. Uh, um, I think it was, it was 1963. 1968, whatever. Uh, Robert D. We've actually we talked about this one. Roberto Di Vincenzo. He signed for a higher score because he had a birdie and Tommy Armor. Uh, sorry, Tommy Aaron, his marker, put down a four, and then he signed for it, handed it in before it could be rectified, and so he missed out on a playoff. So. You know, that was really unlucky that he didn't win the thing, didn't or didn't get into a playoff. Um, so, but at least he sort of still was able to take a check home. Whereas Matt Wolf, well, he wasn't taking a check home, he's going to miss the cut, but he was DQ'd. Okay, let's keep rolling on. Bernd Wiesberger putted into the penalty around the 15th. Bernd was putting for an eagle during round one on hole 15. Unfortunately, he putted his first ball into a yellow penalty area. There's a few people putting off the greens. Yeah, I only saw this one. I did post one of previous years where Bubba Watson um, putted into a bunker and Tigers putted off the green on 13 before. Uh, but, yeah, Burnt Weisberger putted into a penalty area on 15 and it's a yellow penalty area, so he would have had to drop back on a line on the other side of the green. Um, or go to the dropping zone, or best option, which is the one that he chose, was to place his ball back down on the green from where he last played from for a one-stroke penalty. And so yeah, I think he was actually putting for eagle. Mm-hmm. Then that's three. Then the penalty four, placed it back for five, and he putted it to six foot, and then he made the putt from six foot for a bogey. So one one of my favourite uh, rulings there when you you know someone puts into a bunker or puts into a penalty area. Now, if there's an Iver involved there, can I? Um, is his name Weisberg or Weisberg? Weisberger. How's it spelled? Well, can you confirm how it's spelled? 
W-I-E-S. Okay. That would be Weisberger. W-I-E. The I before the I after the E after the I would make a uh, E sound in in the German, Austrian uh, German language. Weisberger, not Weisberger, Weisberger. Well, it was kind of a wise decision, so that's why I went with Weisberger. Mm. Oh, there's another for you. You're back in <laughs> back in the lead. No I, was just tr- I was just trying to find out what uh, if uh, this is actually an, a meaning for the name. Most of the German names have a have a meaning. Um, Wies, Wies, I'm not sure what that means. But uh, is Ber- he from Hamburger? No, but Burger is um, to do with mountains. So uh, that's right. Maybe it's a mountain, a mountain, or something. Someone might want to comment on that if you are in uh, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, German-speaking Switzerland. Uh, might let, let us know. What, um, well, he's definitely a Austrian. Yeah, correct. Correct. Uh, what Wiesberger means? Um, okay, Adam Scott. He was involved. What happened with uh, that? What happened with our, one our Adam? on? Saturday. Did you see this? I was too busy uh, keeping the Melbourne public uh, or the Melbourne golfers uh, placated with fine golfing implements on Saturday. It was very busy down at the golf uh, golf store, mate. Let me so tell you. I did. I did not see this at all. Um, someone sent me a message on Instagram. So he's hit one over the back of the green on fifteen. Uh, so he's chipping for eagle and. Uh, he must have, this ball must have moved and he said that he caused it to move. So he's replaced it. I didn't see any of this and they don't show it on the coverage. He's replaced it and then, uh, hit his, uh, then he's hit his ball into the penalty area. So he's hit it too far into the penalty area. So now we're, that's his fourth shot. Taken a drop. Uh, so it's his fifth shot Hit it just I don't know how he kept it uh, Not going back in the penalty area But he's chipped or pitched it Just to the front of the green Just off it So that's six Chipped up for seven And then holders tap in for eight So uh, he must have grounded his club And thought that the ball moved And he caused it to move So um, honest Adam Has incurred a penalty there didn't didn't really feature in the final standings, obviously, but uh, Honest Adam, that's, uh, that's a good name. Honest Adam. I was going, Honest Abe, Honest Adam. Honest Adam. Uh, Siwoo Kim, now, I, as I was mentioning before, I'm not sure if it was just a joke, if it was a meme or something like that, but I saw a tweet from Pat Perez. Uh, Siwoo Kim was driving down Magnolia Lane saying, how good is this? Pat Perez responds to the tweet going, hey, look after my putter, bro. Siwoo Kim goes, yeah, no worries, man. And then goes and snaps it. Yeah, I didn't see that. That would be quite, well, funny, but not funny. Was, was there um, someone else that snapped a putter? Did anyone else snap a putter? I don't uh, I don't remember, no. Okay. But, uh, so, yeah, what happened there? Yeah, so um, he's a bit angry. I think that might have also been on the 15th. Um Correct me if I'm wrong. It definitely had water in the front of the green. And he's a bit angry with his putt, so he's slammed his putter into the ground, damaged it. Now, he can continue to use it uh, or try and repair it, uh, use it for the rest of the round, that is, or try and repair it. Uh, He's not permitted to replace it uh, because it was – he's damaged it. Um, And the local rule, G9 – wouldn't allow him to replace it either because it's uh, that's only for normal course of play. Uh, this is this was not normal course of play. He damaged it in anger, and so he could have still used it, but he chose not to. And he actually putted with his three wood or utility. Yeah, I think it was three wood, and uh, still made the cut. But uh, it wasn't a wasn't a good look. I can't actually confirm whether it was Pat Perez, but I did. See, I definitely saw a tweet about someone who snapped a putter at the Masters, and it was Pat Perez. And, and there you go. Anyway, if you can confirm that, please let us know. Um, yeah, not a great look to be putting with your three wood at, at Augusta. <laughs> you don't want to be doing that. But uh, okay, what's uh, what, what was the next uh, ring a dinger? Abraham answer. Oh well, that was, this was huge. Um, this was this was massive. So. He's signed his scorecard 
on the first round, after the first round, and he's signed for a 73, one over, pretty good score, considering I think the average was 74.3 or something on the first round. And then someone's alluded, you know, the committee's alluded him, alluded to him that he's grounded his club in the sand on uh, when he was playing out of the sand on one of the holes. And so they've docked him two shots. He didn't know that he'd incurred that penalty. So he only gets the two shots. Uh, he, he's not disqualified, unlike Matthew Wolfe. Uh, he's not disqualified for signing for a lower score because there was a penalty there that he didn't know he had incurred. So that's where that exception comes in. Um, so he just added the two shots, uh, similar to, you know, the Tiger Woods situation, um, kind of similar. And it's all, it's always going to have that kind of similar sort of overtone or undertone to that Tiger Woods scenario saying that he didn't, he didn't know he wasn't aware. It's always going to have that little tone of, uh, probably should have, could have, would have but anyway. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, if it happened today, if the Tiger situation had happened today, it would be the same um, because he didn't he proceeded incorrectly. Um, but, you know, he could have been saved the embarrassment back there by the committee if they just talked to him first, first of all. It was just that, that back then, uh, even if you didn't know you'd incurred a penalty, signing for a wrong score was disqualification, whereas they've added that exception in now. Mm. Um, so, so Tiger would actually be okay in this, in that situation now. But but the the interesting thing with the Abe answer scenario was that the furor the, that it caused, you know, the, the polarized opinion, the commentary, the chatter, the, you know, you broke the rule, mate, so that's accept it and move on. And then the other half of the fence going, oh, surely, you know, really, come on, get real. He didn't even touch it. He didn't even know. So why would you penalize that? And, you know, I've got my opinion on it. Obviously, you as the uh, greatest rules official of this podcast, you'll have your opinion on it. What is that? Uh, so you want me to go with my opinion first? I'm happy to go with my opinion. I'm just I'd a, love I, to hear your opinion first. I'm just a layman golfer. I'm just the everyday golfer, everyday golf shop guy uh, playing out there in clubland. But if you've touched the sand, you've touched the sand. And you've infract, you know, made an infraction, therefore you have to accept the penalty. I can accept that you don't know and you haven't been aware and, you know, unfortunately you've come at the wrath of high-potency cameras and all that sort of thing, but, you know, he did that and that's the rules. And you can't have a grey area in that type of scenario, otherwise you'll have more scenarios like Patrick Reed, you know, flicking sand back and, and Matt Kircher, you know, digging, pulling loose impediments, you know, a million small particles of sand which he claimed as loose impediments from around his ball, digging a trench, which he could get his club into. You know, it'll, it'll just create these grey areas and you may as well just not have that rule. But it, the rule is the rule and that is the rule. Do you, Well, that's, a, that's the one question that I want to ask of you. Do you think that they should do away with that rule so you can ground your club in the sand at any time? No. Look, I, I would agree with that. I, I, I like the black and white situation of just be careful around your ball. It's a, it's not designed to, you know, you can create too much advantage out of being able to ground your club. Yeah, you know, we've all done it in practice, you know, like in practice and that sort of thing, you know, like you just, where it doesn't, doesn't matter, you know, like, well, not, not to get an advantage, but, you know, you've, you've done it in practice. So you know what it does. Um, there's no, there's no way that you can do it in a competition because it can, it's too variable. Someone can press it, you know, what, what what happens then? You know, someone touching it becomes someone's press. Someone's press becomes someone's dig. Someone's dig becomes all of a sudden they've got the ball sitting on the tee and they just fizz it out to a foot rather than, you know, having something that they could barely get up the face. So, you know, the inference on, on that area should be towards the members of the clubs and, and the greens committees and the staff and the, and the courtesy and etiquette of the fellow player presenting the bunkers for the people coming behind them and the people playing alongside them in an acceptable condition. You know, if you get a fizzer, you know, a fried egg, we well, get a fried egg, everyone gets fried eggs from now and then, but you can't do anything about that. Imagine if you're you, getting fried eggs, you're going to stick your thing in there and you're going to get it out every time. That's not what it's all about. Yeah, look, I totally agree with that. Uh, you know, there's a few things to unpack here. 
be careful around your ball. Uh, you know, there's there's no penalty if you hover your club two inches above the sand, three inches, four inches above the sand. There's no penalty if you're half cocked in your backswing. Um, instead, you know, when you walk in there, uh, you know, the rule is the rule. Yeah, they could potentially change the rule in the future. That's up to them and that, that's up to the ruling bodies. But, you know, bunkers aren't there to be places that you should want to go. They're there to, to the part of the penalty is that you, you're made to feel uncomfortable by not being allowed to touch the sand behind your ball. I don't, I don't see anything wrong with that. I'm probably preaching to the converted, but I just don't see anything wrong with, um, you know, being more careful around your ball. And I'm, I'm not saying that Abe had any intention to breach the rule at all. I, I definitely don't think he did, but he just needs to be a bit more careful around the ball. Now, the other things about it are, oh, well, he didn't get an advantage. No, that, that's not what the rule is about. The rule is not about, whether you're getting an advantage. It's just about whether you do or don't touch the sand. And the rules are that you can't. The black and white, you are not permitted to touch the sand in front of, or immediately in front of, right behind, in your backswing or in the in a practice swing, and including in testing as well. So it's, it's pretty um, specific. You, you can't do it. Now, the other things about it, well, you know, they don't have cameras showing every person's shot in the bunker, you know, as professionals. There's no cameras in amateur ga- uh, golf full stop, but there's no, there's no not cameras watching every professional to see if every professional um, makes a blue, you know, so Abraham answer got uh, unfairly penalized. Well, I think of this like a random breath test. Okay. If you want to try out, uh, you know, tr- take a few drinks and have a drive, then you have to be, you have to realize that you may get caught. I'm not saying that Abe was trying to touch the bunker, but if he gets his club that close to the sand, he may get caught. He may, someone may see it and then they will bring it up. This, the last part of this is, oh, but it wouldn't be able to see, be seen by naked eye. Well, the committee of the masters believed that it was, would have been able to be seen by the naked eye. And I really want everyone who has that opinion to go into a bunker, lightly ground their club as much as, as Abe did and see if they can see an imprint in the bunker. And I, I would really uh, be surprised if they said they could not see it. Now I know you, you're thinking, oh well, if you if you can't see it, you can't see it. You know, if you how how am I going to know that I've seen it if I can't see it? it? Honestly, if you lightly if you lightly touch uh, the bunker, and, and you'll be able to see an imprint. And that's what I was saying before. You know, like when you put ten balls down in the bunker at the practice area where it hasn't been raked and you're just trying to prepare the ground and you know, like you're just hitting balls out. Like, you know, sometimes you you scrape the scrape the ter- you know, the, the, the sand just to, you know, replicate the light. But, you know, sometimes you you put your club down because your phone rings or someone says good day and then you just go through with your shot. Whatever it happens, you can see where the club has been. And yeah, yeah and, absolutely. And, and, it doesn't and, mean that it doesn't mean that you might be able to feel it but you'll be able to see it. And yes, I realized that this happened just before he took the club away. But, you know, uh, from five foot away or six foot away, how, you know, if you're Dustin Johnson, I truly believe that that would have been able to be seen. If it was one grain of sand, I could understand, but that was more than one grain of sand. Mm. It caused a bit of consternation, absolutely. And it goes back to another great uh, debate, you know, it's not nothing to do with the masters or anything here, but uh, you know the divot, you know the the divot <laughs> rule. You know, people saying, "Oh, you should be able to get free relief out of divot." Now, I'm I've played out of more divots, and you know, because I'm so old, Blakey, and thanks for pointing that out again. Um, I've played out of more divots than you've had, uh, you know, cooked breakfasts, and it's just part of the game. So, 
you know, play out of a divot, what becomes, when does it stop becoming a divot and when does it become fairway? Because they grow back and they don't grow back in the same, you know, all at the same rate and there's, you know, they take time to grow back. So when is it not a divot? It's just, just a grey area. So just, it's sort of like that. You can't touch the sand. There's not a little bit yeah. of touching, a light touch, a little touch, no touch, some touch. There's no touch, no here, no, no, no touch. touch. I, I totally agree. No, no touch. You know, that is part of the, the challenge of the bunker is there's no touching of the sand around your ball, uh, you know, immediately in front of or right behind. And with the divot, that is the challenge of golf. Oh, I've hit a perfect drive. There is no such thing as a perfect drive unless it goes in the hole. Then you don't have to worry about divots. Just keep the club away from the area around your balls. <laughs> That's right. In the sand. Now, uh, Abraham answer, we've covered that. Well, great discussion. Hideki hits his ball into the penalty area. So this was uh, all in the final day, wasn't it? Uh, yes, this was This was really, uh, really I'm, I'm good, a, yeah. a real good one. Um, so he's he's hit this, you know, he's absolutely smoked this uh, or flushed it or he just hit it a little bit low. He probably needed to pop it up a bit more. A bit more. He was probably not wanting to go into the, the pond in front. And as it so happened, Hideki's hit this one. It's just bounced on the downslope at the back of the 15th green and gone into the penalty area um, behind the 15th green, which is actually the penalty area that you have to hit over on the 16th hole. So if we just talk about, and then so Hideki's finished out that hole, made bogey, and I think... um, uh, Shoffley made birdie. And so, you know, the drama's starting to kick up, blah, blah, blah. Shoffley hits it first on the next hole, the 16th, and he hits it in the water. And so it's easier to talk about that one first. So in that situation, Shoffley's hit it into the water on the 16th, which is a yellow penalty area. The challenge there is you have to get over the water. Uh, there is no lateral relief option for that situation now there's going back to the tee which is his previous place played there's back on a line and then there's the drop zone i think some of the commentators are saying he has to go to the drop zone i i i don't know but i'd find that very hard to believe i would say that he would have the options still have the options of going to the tee um going back on a line or the drop zone and most would choose the drop zone and because uh, it's a little bit closer and he ended up overshooting and making a triple, which was the first time he's made a triple on tour or something. It was 1,042 holes or something like that. But, okay, so for the 16th hole, while playing the 16th hole, it's a yellow penalty area. But for Hideki, when he played the 15th hole and hit it in the penalty area, it's actually a red penalty area. And that's why from the last, uh, from the estimated point on the last edge crossed, into that penalty area, Hideki was able to drop within two club links under that lateral relief option. Did that cause any consternation for the uh, listeners? Not consternation, but uh, they, well, confusion. Yep. Right. So confusion there. And they were just like, oh, how, explain, and, you know, I will explain Hideki's drop, explain how Shoffley's drop. So, you know, one of two of the most confusing rules or scenarios um, uh, both start with P: provisional ball and penalty area. They would be the most confusing things in the book, hands down. Mm-hmm. And they get used often, and people still don't understand. And and that and I can understand that it, it is there is a lot to unpack with those situations. But uh, in this situation, you can make the committee can make a penalty area red for one hole and yellow for another. Yep. And they could make half of it you red and half of it yellow, for example. Yeah, absolutely spot on. Yep. Have you seen one of those lately? Uh, back when we were playing a temporary hole at uh, Pico in the redevelopment, uh, we're playing the tenth as a par three. There was a combination sort of red and yellow penalty area there, which um Ten, at, is that the tenth on the south? S- south. Yeah, so it was a path through. They had a temporary temporary green down near the 
the little water course that ran at the yeah. back. Of, and uh, it was yellow at one side and then red um, at the other end. So red, you know, if you went in the water from the green, which was, you know, the green butted up to the creek, uh, it was I think it was red up there and then it was yellow back down near the, towards the tee area. Yep. Can you, uh, is the 11th hole, the teeing area for the 11th, sorry, listeners, yep. but I just um, wanted to clear this up. Is the 11th hole for the south course still beside the driveway? Yes. So so competitions are started on the 1st and the 11th, is that right? Correct. Yeah, that's quite interesting. So, so uh, guys, uh, the walk down to the 10th tee on the south course is prob- from the golf shop is probably 450, whereas the walk to the 11th tee is probably 150. Um, so they start their competitions on 1 and 11 on the south course. Not on the north course. You you have to endure the uh, five hundred meter walk down the hill, and it's uh, you don't want to be late for your tea time like me uh, occasionally, and then get to the pro shop with about three minutes to spare, and then think you have got plenty of time, and then the guys uh, in the pro shop go, "Oh, you're off the tenth, Ross." You got to run. That's right. That's right. We started on the tenth when we played together, and you got to run all the way down there. And so, oh, sorry, guys, I'm late. Oh, something. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. There's there's no real other place. Oh, I guess you could could you start on you could start on six. Yeah, you could start on um, six. Five? Uh, is it five or six? Uh, or seven? Um, or seven, the par three? You could start on seven, the par three, walk up the hill. You could start on the uh, fifth, the par five. Yeah. After the fourth. I mean, yeah. I mean, that would be a bit weird to start on one and five, but it, it could be done, but uh, maybe one and seven possibly. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I forget, Blakey, it's been that long since I've played down there in a competition. I think January might have been my last uh uh, individual competition round down there, uh, which is sad for the listeners to hear. That is horrible to hear that uh, you're not out playing too much golf uh, these days, Roscoe. I'm just uh, gun for hire in the four-man Ambrose uh, teams. My last two wins of the year have been in both in four-man Ambrose events, one that Peninsula with uh, young Jess Hosking uh, and her father, and uh, one down at Mornington with uh, my team from work where we both won uh, both teams both won the net and the handicap uh, on Good Friday, David. 57, we both shot. Both teams from uh, my store, 57. It was pretty good. Did you do a count back? Yeah, we won on a count back because the young fellow we were playing with from my, one, one, one of my staff had a hole-in-one. On, uh, so we birdied 18 and the other my other team bogey, uh, parred 18 from hitting the green in two. No, they're just off the green in two. So, um, and we uh, birdied and then had a eagle on the 16th. So uh, we, won, uh, we won the net. Uh, we won the handicap, sorry. Uh, we won speak, the stroke. Sorry, stroke. Speaking about uh, your work and being really busy, if anyone wants uh, some retail work in Melbourne City, um, hook, hook up with Roscoe and he, he'll... Uh, Oh, thanks for that public service he'll, announcement. He'll give, you, he'll give you an interview first. <laughs> uh, we do do occasional public service announcements, and if we are going to talk about my work, because I introduced it, uh, saying that we were a good bunch of golfers down there, um, if anyone does uh, want some casual work in a great golf environment, please let me know. Uh, anyone's got any young golfers that might want a bit of a, you know, we have a lot of casual work down there from time to time, and we tend to get a lot of um, some young university students that want to supplement their uh, life with some income uh, in a golf environment. And I'm happy to, you know, it's actually one of the pleasurable parts of what I do is, is working with the young people and giving them some uh, inspiration and education and ways of the world according to me, whether that's uh, right, wrong or otherwise. But uh, that's what you get when you come down uh, with me. You get a little bit of a little bit of me and, um, and all I ask is any of the young people that have ever worked for me, I just want you to remember when you're old and done, you remember the, you remember me and something I've taught you in fifty years' time. That's all I ask. But uh, yeah, hit me up. Some there's some good weekend work and uh, after after work uh, after school uni uh, lecturers work. So uh, we're at nine um, o'clock to nine o'clock in the night business uh, six days a week and eleven to five on a Sunday. So there's plenty of stuff happening down there. Uh, anyway, um, background bingo. Last week's background bingo, David. I had a uh, image from one of Australia's great aerial and uh, land-based golf photographers, Nick Wall from Airswing Media. I didn't credit him in the Instagram post. Apologies to you, Nick. But that uh, image that he took that was part of my background last week was definitely from New Zealand. Uh, your part of the world, Blakey, which is the first time I've gone across the ditch to New Zealand. What course was it again? 
Yours was the hills, uh, the 18th hole. It certainly was. And you had another obscure picture. Uh, not quite and as obscure mine, as, as you Mine was, which was incredible. Uh, so Andrew Miller got it. Um, so you're right. We need to stop giving hints out. And it was Roxburgh. Uh, not spelt quite the same as the one in um, Scotland. Is that right? England, whatever. You can you can either me for that one. Uh, but Roxburgh down, it's from Queenstown. It's about two and a half hours. So, oh, yeah, yeah, probably about that. Maybe maybe two hours uh, from from Queenstown where yours was, Arrow Town where yours was, to Roxburgh uh, is about two hours. So um, it's a dinky little track with lots of rocks. Hence why Roxburgh uh, rocks is in the name. How well? Roxburgh. How is it spelled? If Roxburgh, the you know the suburb of um, Roxburgh Park in Melbourne, for example, um, if you're well, it's spelled like that, R O X B U R G H. Yeah, that's it. Well, that's how you spell Roxburgh. I thought there was another one with an E. R O X E. Oh, I've never seen that, but uh, you know, if you're in America, you might be calling it Roxburgh. Roxburgh. As in Edinburgh. Edinburgh, David. E-D-I-N-B-U-R-G-H. Edinburgh. Yes, that is right. right. Does that sound, uh, does Burr stand, go, does that stand for mountains as well? Uh, Or valleys? No, I I don't know. That's, you know, I just know how it's said properly in this uh, context, uh, David. Edinburgh. Uh, So uh, this this week's uh, episode 37, this week's, um, oh, background bingo. Yours is it's usually me giving the hurry ups to you, not you to me. Sorry, mate. Uh, I, I, we, we've been chatting about uh, other stuff other than golf. Uh, yeah, mine's a no-brainer. Mine's easy. There's no hints, but uh, I'm not even going to move and get out of the way. Are you going to tell us a region of the world? Nope. No hints. Zero hints no. given. Well, that's my one. Seems to be lots of water there. Okay. Lots of water. Very good. Uh, are we up to the question? Any uh, Ivor? No, we had an Ivor. It was a sort of Ivor. Uh, Fraze, good day to you, mate. Fraze, we had a bit of a message exchange on uh, Sunday morning. Fraze was um, very happy that the Heart of Midlothian, the famous, as we call it in Edinburgh, Heart of Midlothian, wonderful football team, have been promoted after winning the uh, Scottish Championship, which is the second tier. They got relegated in a COVID imbroglio. Uh, couple <laughs> of, well, it was. They finished. They were last in the, in the, in the set SPFL, the Scottish Premiership Footballers League, the Scottish Professional Footballers League, which is the top flight, um, called the season closed. And they hadn't, the season hasn't been finished, hadn't been finished. And all of the teams voted and they got voted to be relegated. We all thought that that was very unfair. Imagine, imagine that. And uh, anyway... Well, they, you got the opportunity to win the got, championship. And we came back up, so Fraser and I had an exchange, but um, I might have not been sure that Fraser was a Hearts supporter, but he, you reminded me that he had told us he was a Hearts supporter a long time ago, and I forgot that, so maybe that's a f- either to me. Fraser, he, he certainly had told us that he's a Jambo. Just give us the background of how you're called Jambos. Hearts, Heart of Midlothian. Heart of Midlothian, Midlothian is, is an area. Uh, right. So Midlothian, East Lothian, West Lothian. So, for example, for any of the golf uh, architecture buffs, East Lothian is where you will find the great stretch of coastal golf in Scotland from Dunbar, um, the Glen, uh, North Berwick, um, Archerfield, Renaissance. Uh, what else have we got? We've got uh, Gullen, Gullen number one, two, three, Loughness, uh, Kilspindy, Craigielaw, uh, etc. That is East Lothian. As you move towards Musselburgh, where Musselburgh Golf Course, one of the oldest golf courses in the world, if not the oldest, something like that, um, that becomes then Midlothian, and, and around Edinburgh is Midlothian, and then you move across to the west towards Glasgow, that's West Lothian. So Heart of Midlothian is the team. Uh, the Jammed Hearts, Hearts. Uh, right, understood. Jambo. Right. So if you're a Hearts fan, you're a Jambo. Okay, got you. Proudly a Jambo. Uh, golf Rules question of the week, 37. Okay, let me read that one for you, Blakey. We've uh, waffled on. Lena's original ball off the tee looked to have become stuck in a tree. After a small sub-two-minute search around the area, Lena heads back to the tee to p- play a provisional ball. The provisional ball was played 
after two minutes of searching, well, it's okay, it was not something, it was after, it was a two minute search, let's say that. Within three minutes. Within yeah. three minutes, towards the same area. It struck the same tree, and lo and behold, two balls fall out the original ball and the provisional ball. What is the ruling? That's a good one. So, just to recap, Lena hits the ball into a tree, searches for around two minutes, let's say, can't find it. Quickly scurries back to the to the tee, so she, ha- so she hasn't actually hit it that far because you know Lena's a fairly new golfer um, in this scenario, and she hits another one, bang, straight into the same place, and two balls pop out, the same ball and the provisional ball, the original and the provisional. What's the ruling? Great, I think we're we're all good, we're all done. Okay, well, it's been fifty minutes of. Uh, more debate, scenario, situations around the world of golf, uh, the rules of golf and all situations that have occurred. We only get to talk about the Masters once a year. It's going to be a, a long wait, it would seem, after having two pretty much close back-to-back almost. Um, but uh, we can't wait for that. And uh, what's next? What's the next tournament on the horizon, Blakey? Uh, this week is the Heritage, the um, one at Harbour Town. Beautiful. That always throws up a few. Great course down there, the RBC Heritage. Uh, what do you win if you win the Heritage, uh, uh, Blakey? You win now. I I will get this wrong, but you win the tartan jacket. I don't know which tartan it is, though. Well, there's a question for the listeners. Tell us which tartan it is when you win the jacket, uh, the beautiful jacket. That, it's uh, very gets. it's very red, very red. Whereas uh, my mum's a Mackenzie. Uh, ours is a lot more green. It could be the muddy tartan, for example. Possibly. I don't think it is, but uh, okay, good one. Uh, I just want to do oh. one more. Uh, shout out to Jerry. Uh, sorry, Jerry, that this took so long. Uh, shout out to Jerry Bauer. Uh, I was on his little Zoom chat um, recently, and that was lots of fun and met some really nice people on there. So uh, thank you very much for having me on there, Jerry. Uh, good luck with your golf uh, this summer season as they move into the hotter months in Ontario. Sorry, I missed that one, uh, Jerry. Sorry, I'm, I, sorry, I missed that Zoom chat. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Jerry. Sorry, I wasn't. I, I must have missed the email. Flanagan double double N I G A N. Just in case you're wondering, but it's actually not in Ross at mileofgolf dot com. Uh, we'll, we'll get you next time, Jerry. Thanks, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks very much, everyone, for listening. Mm-hmm.